Fantineers podcast. Where we discuss anything and everything Disney. Hi, I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And boy, do we have a great episode for you this oh, week. Like, Joe, is this real life? <laughs> this is real, this is podcast life. I mean, I feel like it's not real life. I know. We, uh, we're we floating high. Yes. We were, we were very lucky to be able to interview a Disney animator, Tom Bancroft. We mentioned it last week on the show that, that we were going to be, you know, this week we're going to be talking to him. And this is just, you know, a great episode. Uh, Tom was very gracious to sit down with us for over an hour and just to kind of discuss his entire career at Disney and had a lot of like great stories behind the scenes, <laughs> like facts and everything. And he's worked on some, some of the most iconic Disney movies and characters. So he worked on Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Pocahontas, and The Lion King. Of, and so I, again, geeking out. And then he was the supervising animator on, of Mushu on, in Mulan. So he is super accomplished, really talented, and also just a overall amazing, nice guy. Yes. So basically every incredible Disney movie in the 90s, he had his hands on. And he also worked on Brother Bear, which I know, Angela, oh my is one of your favorite movies. Yes. So yeah, we really appreciate Tom sitting down with us. So um, let's just uh, get into the interview. Yeah. All right. So we're delighted to be joined today by legendary Disney animator Tom Bancroft. Uh, Tom, throughout his career at Disney, has worked on some of the most uh, classic and I think iconic, iconic films yeah, <laughs> yeah. and characters, including The Lion King, Mulan, uh, and Pocahontas. So, Tom, really appreciate you for being on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I enjoy being here already. It was a little <laughs> frustrating getting here. We already talked about we had tech problems. You know. yes. Yeah, a little behind the scenes. We had, we had some tech issues, but, but we got through it. So yeah. we're, we're very happy uh, you're on the show. So I'm, I, I'm trying to hold it together here because I'm geeking out just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> now, wait, now, uh, we need to back up because you guys have gotten through to me through Instagram. And I must admit, I've lost track of like, okay, so who's who? What's your names? So, so, so I'm Joe. <laughs> and I'm Angela. Joe and yes. Angela. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. That's okay. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> You're Tony, right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> there it is. That, wow, she's the spicy one. Yes, wow. she is. She keeps me in line. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say, you know, Angela said she's geeking out here, and I mean, I mean, both of us grew up on you know the '90s Disney movies. So, I mean, Angela can pretty much quote Lion King uh, word for word. So. I think she has her scar shirt on. I, yes. Listen, yeah. young Simba is on the bottom. Okay. Yeah. He's the better so, one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, debatable. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. He likes scar. Okay. That's I, I'm a fan, but yeah, I love the movie in general. <laughs> okay. Good. Well, I do too. I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I guess kind of before we get into your, your time at Disney and again, I mean, all the you know incredible characters and movies you've worked on, what initially got you interested in animation? Like how, how did you get started in that growing up? Well, so as Angela was saying, I do have a twin brother. His name's Tony and we grew up together uh, drawing all the time, kind of. And we had a single parent mom. And so we would kind of compete for her attention, I guess you could say, and do little drawings of, we were really into comic strips. And so this was even slightly pre-Garfield, but because uh, this was like early 70s when we were growing up, uh, early to mid 70s. And so like I saw Star Wars in the movie theater at, at, okay. as a kid. I mean, All like right. I was, I don't know, 10-ish when it came out in 77. So we drew together and we would show my mom, oh, does this look like Snoopy? You know, and like we would always be drawing Charlie Brown and Snoopy. That was our favorite comic strip. And uh, 
And so, you know, just trying to kind of, which one's better kind of a thing, try to compete for her attention. She'd always say, I like them both the same. <laughs> um, and that was nice. Uh, I don't think it was true. She liked mine better. But, yeah, I was going to yes. say, definitely um, yours, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and so that just evolved into us just wanting to, I think we were fascinated by that lifestyle. Like back then, you rarely would hear anything about, you never heard about animation. Like Disney, of course, was around, but they were in a real slump. And mm-hmm. this was like pre-Black Cauldron. But like the Nine Old Men were dying. And and uh, so, you know, and I had no idea what was going on at Disney. This wasn't even on my, uh, you know, because this is before the Internet and all that. So like we didn't hear about how things were made uh, artistically. So what you'd hear about is you'd, you'd see, I think they had the whatever was predated the Today Show. Um, you know, uh, they had those newscasts and stuff and they would interview Charles Schultz, creator of the peanuts. And he would come on and he would talk about, and so you saw him a lot. He was sort of the face of the, I don't know, seventies comic strip, uh, Mm -hmm. time. And, and it was kind of a boom. Like that was a semi, uh, second generational boom going on during the, um, seventies and going into the eighties, all the way up to Bloom County. Um, and, uh, but you know, Farsade later and Bloom County later. Um, but so that was still kind of a comic strip boom time. So you'd hear about those guys and, and most of them were guys. So I hate to say it, but that's true. And so you'd hear about them and we would, we would kind of really research them and, and their lifestyle sounded fascinating. You know, Charles <laughs> Schultz would come on and he would go, yeah, so I created all my own characters and here's my Snoopy plush <laughs> over here and here's my grading card line over here and and I just, you know, and then I do uh, like five comic strips a day and then I take the rest of the week off and I golf, you know? And <laughs> Is that what, what he really sounded like? Something like that. It's my old man voice. But uh, my older man voice. <laughs> um yeah, and so like that to us as artists, we're like, wait, wait, you get a, you can create your own characters, you can tell your own stories, you can own it all, become rich doing it, and then like you get your work done in half a day, and the rest of the day you get to do other stuff. Of course, we didn't want to do any other stuff. We wanted to just do the drawing part. <laughs> right. um, but it just sounded like this amazing lifestyle of working at home in a, an office with the sun coming in. And, and I do have that now, I, I must admit especially now working remote as much as we all are, you know, I have that and I, and I do love it. I love my like quiet time drawing, you know, mm-hmm. and I still do even at this age, but that was what kind of led into later on. We then discovered animation. Um, and it really was not until, um, it wasn't until believe it or not, black cauldron, uh, that it really started getting on my, that was right around high school as I was graduating high school. Or I just graduated. I think is when black cauldron came out. And it, so it was just that timing, right? It's not a great movie, but I saw that movie and I was like, <gasps> I stayed, I remember staying for the credits. It might've been the first time any animated film I stayed for the credits and, and saw it at the theater. And, you know, because I was older, I, I just kind of outgrown it. And I was sort of like just doing it with a friend kind of for fun sort of thing. Yeah. And, uh, but my brother and I were huge like effects fans, like uh, again, Star Wars had come out in 77. And so, the world was into special effects at that time. It was a real booming time, but it was like really low end special effects compared to nowadays. And so we thought maybe we'd get into that too, but it didn't seem even we kind of sensed. we did a lot of research about it, but we sensed that it was kind of low uh, creativity. Um, It was a little technical um, and we still wanted to draw. And so when animation kind of came around and, and at least in my 
eyesight when when I saw Black Cauldron and realized through the credits, oh wait, people work on this. It kind of all came together, and then I went, oh, wait, I already like special effects and film. I already like uh, drawing, you know, and comic strips and telling stories and creating characters. You know, this animation thing is the perfect in between. So. And then you went to Cal Arts, their animation program, correct? Yeah. So not for long. Uh, both my brother and I got in, and this was back in 1988. Um, and we left in, no, sorry, we got there in 87. We left in 88. So, I mean, like, we were only there for like a year. It was may, maybe a year and a half that we were there. So if all of our freshman year and then halfway into our sophomore year. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it's expensive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the thing, especially back then, maybe even maybe even now, you know, you would try and get out as soon as you can. You, nobody really stayed for four years. That was sort of the joke at Cal Arts was that if you were there for four years, it was because you were sucked. <laughs> <laughs> nobody wanted you. <laughs> but that wasn't totally true because there's some amazing people that went all four years and they were smart to do it. It was just right. at the yeah. time we're like, well, why go here and spend money? They're going to train me at Disney and, and pay me. You know, yeah, that's right. true. <laughs> because Disney had their own kind of training program as well, right? Whenever you got in, yeah. There. And that's the big change in the industry that a lot of people don't know about is that um, it used to be that Disney, all the studios, um, even about because this is years later that DreamWorks opened, they would still train people to some degree. Um, but around that time, about the time that people kind of we left 2D animation and switched over to computer animation. Uh, you know, in the, I don't know, we'll say late nineties, early two thousands. Um, that was when a lot of that training went away. Um, and because I think with the hand drawn, there was just a lot more that you needed to know and nobody was going to come out of four years knowing what you needed to know. And so they just expected that they had to kind of cook you a little bit longer, you know, on the job. And, so, and they had a real mentorship kind of a, a, a way of working, especially at Disney where you had an old master that you would kind of work under. It was really kind of like artisan. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's okay. usually applied to bread, but, um, <laughs> but it was, I mean, it was this craftsmanship kind of a mentorship that still was around all through the eighties and into the nineties. And I, I miss it because I yeah. think that really, uh, uh, kind of brought people up. I'm, I'm an instructor now and we can get to that later, but I really do try and bring in the, uh, mentorship, uh, side of things into our, our animation program. Yeah, that's the, the, that human touch definitely is something that is is beneficial. And it also creates a really nice work environment. So it kind of would stink to get away from that. It would stink. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, but now they what they do is they 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 tell the schools and they and that was part of it. I mean, some of it I get where Disney was like, look, we're spending so much money. We have a whole training department. And they they used to. Uh, where they would take, they'd give us figure drawing classes and all that, and they still do some figure drawing classes and stuff. But they would, they would kind of bring you on for that whole first year. They wouldn't really expect much work out of you, production work. They would be giving you tests and and training you and things like that, and getting you kind of ready. Um, and then even when you were on production, you were like a junior, junior animator, and you'd kind of have to work your way up. And and so there was this. It was a pretty big investment they would do, um, but. They, meantime, they were also simultaneous to that starting to kind of train the schools as the art schools were popping up because CalArts was the only one in the U.S. anyway that had an animation program and Sheridan College in Canada. Those two were the, the early ones. 
and then then the the as animation got popular around Lion King and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they were just popping up everywhere. Animation programs, all the schools started having animation programs. It's kind of where we are now. Um, where even this little one in Nashville that I teach at, <laughs> we, we have one. Um, and uh, so what they did was they just started working closely with the schools and going, we, we need you to start training the right way. This is what we look for. Okay. Here's a portfolio that we want to see. You know, they need more figure drawing. They need, And they would literally kind of instruct a lot of them, especially the big five to ten that they worked with a lot on like, well, this is how CalArts does it. And, and, and they were working very closely with CalArts for a good 15, 20 years of getting them even more so. So that's why some of that went over to the schools, that training. They're like, we expect more now from the students when they come out that they're going to have a little bit better uh, knowledge about animation. Okay, cool. Makes sense. So um, I was watching an interview with you earlier today, and I saw that it said, you said, to be a good animator, you have to be particularly observant. So you have to ask yourself questions like, how does this move? How do clothes lay on the body when you do this or that? So have you always been an observant person, or did you train yourself to be that way? And do you have any tips to become more attentive to detail? Because I am not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a good question. I um I guess I was attentive to that growing up and that, but more on the artistic side. Like I, I would, I would geek out about, we were huge mad magazine fans back in the <laughs> sort of mid seventies to early eighties. Mad magazine was like the, mm-hmm. the place for people that wanted to be a cartoonist. You, all the best artists were in there, Mort Drucker and Jack Davis and uh, Paul Coker Jr. And we were just huge fans of most all the artists that were in mad magazine. And so that would be like our go-to place to kind of look at how do they ink and all that. And so, yeah, we were being very attentive about that. Like, how do they draw hands? You know, all kinds of, you know, things that we were part of our training. Um, but it wasn't until I went to CalArts that I started realizing, oh, wait, this animation thing, there's a whole new layer to it that we didn't kind of think about with comic strips and and that other forms of entertainment, which was, one, storytelling, a whole new layer or level, I guess, of storytelling. But the new layer was acting and performance and getting to your characters to... We didn't realize that an animator wasn't just, you know, just moving a character around. We started realizing at CalArts from day one, they started talking about performance and acting and making your characters come to life and and that that isn't just moving them smoothly or quick here and slow here. It's It's not just timing, it's it's the actual performance of have you thought through the thought process of your character and can you see the character thinking like that was the big geek thing, you know, at Disney and and at (laughs) Cal arts was, can I see your character thinking, you know? Mm -hmm. And so they, they, and to this day, animators geek out about the quiet moments of a character, you know, where, where they pause and they just, you can see them thinking and then they do something, you know what I mean? Like they've made a decision. And if you can show that, um, uh, that's like a whole nother layer, right? Another level of acting. And so that's where, what you're referring to, you know, I go to airports, I go to the park, I go wherever I go, Disney world's awesome for this (laughs) because there's so many characters there. Um, and, uh, but I used to work at Disney World, and so therefore I would we'd go on park walks and stuff like that. We just watch the 
stupid tourists, you know, from all over the world. <laughs> and most of them were stupid and they were sweating and they just weren't happy. And they'd have their whole family and oh, the whole family's not happy. And you're just like, why are you here during the summer in Florida? Um, and anyway, it was a party every day if you're just an acting geek. And that's what we became. Mm -hmm. Pixar's the same way. All the animators are. They're just acting geeks. They watch <laughs> movies and go, oh, did you see how, like, right as he was starting to look away, he kind of he kind of blinked and then looked that way. And then he, you know, and it's like down to the minutia like that. Gosh. And that's what you got to do to get to that level. Yeah, that, I mean, that's pretty amazing. I never <laughs> really considered that, you know, when, when you're watching an animated film, like you said, like you don't think of the, you know, the acting that goes behind it and that level of detail. But so how, how much do you have, like how much involvement do you have over that creation as an animator? Because I know there's kind of like the the key animators and then there's, I think, like the in-betweeners. Like, yeah. do you, like, are you building that character the whole way through? Like, do you know what the script calls for or are you kind of, have a, a rough idea of what you need them to do and then you kind of have freedom to you know inject that that nuance to it yeah it, it's a little bit of all that um but littler in some areas than others so um by the time you get a scene and i'm talking about more the 2d you know in the past 2d animation computer animation still like this and especially in feature films tv no you they give you a storyboard you do exactly what's in the storyboard the production's turnarounds are so fast with TV that mm -hmm. you don't have time to reinvent the wheel. Like they're like, no, 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 this is working. Just do this. And you just, you do it. Um, but in feature films and especially at Disney and Pixar uh, and DreamWorks, uh, they, from the storyboard all the way to the animation, they want you to influence it. They, they expect it at Disney. It was expected is that you don't just take what's given you, you make it better. It le and that was the, we called it plussing. And so as, <laughs> as it went through every department, a scene would get plussed, right? As it mm -hmm. went, it would get a little better and a little bit better and a little bit better. And it wasn't just like, oh, now the character's in color. It used to be, and now it goes through in companions in color. Like you, your, your goal was to try and find some way to make it even better than just what your normal job is. And so with animation, especially, uh, there's two areas where that really happened at Disney. And I would say storyboarding, the storyboard artists would do that. They would go, okay, here's the script or here's the pitch from the director. I'm going to go off. And, oh, I got this new idea. I'm going to come up with this new little gag or I'm going to come up. And they'd come up with stuff. And many of those guys and gals are writing script pages, by the way, and get un they don't get credited for it because they're adding lines okay. that mm -hmm. then has to give back to nowadays to the script uh, screenwriter they have to then literally just copy it, type it in. They get the credit, and it's all union. It's all because of union stuff. But unfortunately, yes, there's a lot of lines. Like Chris Sanders on, in Mulan, he was the head of story. He wrote a lot of dialogue that he, and I think he, actually, I take it back. I think he's one of the few storyboard artists that ever got a writing credit because oh, he did okay. so much writing that they were like, there's no way we can just steal all this fantastic stuff that he added to the film and and not give him some kind of writing credit so anyway uh that was a tangent but we did that in animation too so that then as you get a great storyboard your job was to go okay that's working or this part isn't working as well maybe there's an area here that i can make a little funny or i can add a little bit of animation i can i can have him come into the camera a little bit even and and that even kind of jazzes it up a little bit um you know, giving a little more depth than what the storyboards, because usually storyboards are very kind of flat, left to right in the, how they boarded it. 
and maybe you kind of find a way to kind of creatively bring your character more into the foreground and so you almost do like a camera move in a way because the character moves forward i did that with mushu when he comes to life i live and then he he <laughs> kind of comes into the into the foreground he kind of hobbles up forward and he goes you know he looks around tell me a great you know ancestor you know whatever and he does that kind of look around in the so he kind of brings himself into a close-up so that we really get to see him because that's his introduction scene mm -hmm. that wasn't in the storyboards and so it's uh, those kind of things that we can kind of now add to that so moment. did you did you come up with the I live line? Like, do you have any lines that you came up with that you're particularly proud of? No, usually by the time it comes to you, because here's the thing that a lot of people forget about is that one, there's a screenwriter, then um, then that script is given to the storyboard artist. They start storyboarding, but simultaneous to that, then they bring in the voice actors and they start reading mm -hmm. the lines. So by the time it comes to me, the animator, it's already been recorded. It's not like, oh, I'm going to come up with this great idea. Oh, and by the way, it's got to go back to Eddie Murphy and have him <laughs> record it and, and then come back to me and a month later, I'll finish the scene. You know, I mean, it yeah. just, yeah, it would just halt production if, if uh, I had some genius idea for him to re-record, <laughs> you know, and all the money that would go along with, you know, getting him back in the recording session. Right. That was actually going to be one of my questions was, do you, are, do they record the voice before you animate it? So that, that does answer that. It does. Yeah. So you, you talked about, you know, how there's kind of like the plussing of every step of the way. That was something Disney did. Um, I mean, I'm not sure if a lot of other animation studios did that as much. But do you think that that's kind of one of the reasons why Disney was so successful with their animation, that they were constantly, you know, trying to improve the process each step of the way and kind of give people the freedom to make those creative decisions? I do. Um, I do a lot. And, and I do think that's, there were certain leaders at Disney, and I'm talking about on the creative side, not the executives, because most of the time executives were just getting in our way. Um, but uh, <laughs> to be honest, but uh, but um, like we had Titans, we had Glenn Keane. Glenn Keane was uh, my generation, and even a little bit before me, he was like, and he still is, really, because he's still alive, and he's still doing amazing things like Dear Basketball was his animated short that he got an Academy Award for just a couple of years ago with Kobe mm -hmm. Bryant. Um, he's still a game changer. But when I was there at Disney, he would just inspire everybody the whole time. I mean, like he was a quarterback of feature animation. There's no doubt about it. We had a couple. We had a good top five or ten animators that everybody looked up to. And, and believe me, there was a hierarchy at Disney Animation. Mm -hmm. And you knew that who the best people were and everybody was striving to be that good. And so young guys like me, when I first came on, you know, we were all like being mentored by those people, one, but also wanting their jobs, right? We wanted to, <laughs> I want to create Aladdin one day, you know, and, uh, and Glenn would do that every film. So he, any film that Glenn was on, uh, he would do the lead character. He was the star. He's the Tom Cruise. And if it was a female, he was, I don't know, the Julia Roberts <laughs> uh, back in the day. And so he would get the key part, but then he would not, it wasn't an ego thing. Like one, he deserved it. He, he could draw like nobody. He was the Michelangelo of animation. He really was like, um, and These are then, like great, some like great uh, little similarities you're coming up with. I know, thank you. I, uh, yeah, <laughs> you're you're really this, wordsmithing here. You can cut right. this up very nicely. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, so but then uh, on top of that, man, he was inspiring. Like, and he wouldn't just keep that inspiration for himself. 
he was just like constantly exuding it. And not only in his drawings, but in his words, like he would, he would just kind of go, you know, I like, and, and here's the other thing that he would do, which was really tricky. Cause I, I worked with him on Pocahontas. He animated and designed Pocahontas and I was an animator underneath him. Mm-hmm. And so he was the supervising animator. And so he had designed this amazing character that only he could draw from every different <laughs> angle. Like nobody could do it. He'd have to literally do drawings over all of our, all of our drawings. There was 20 animators that animated Pocahontas and he had to work with every single one of us and do drawings because we just couldn't get it like he could do it. And so, um, uh, that was tough enough, but then he would just like, he'd go in rather than going like getting technical, like most animators, like, well, right here on this drawing, you know, what if she was leaned back a little bit more and then, then kind of anticipate down a little bit lower and then uh, timing wise, you know, make her move a little faster right here. And they talk about sort of from with using animation terms glenn he would go tom what do you think the essence of this scene is for <laughs> do you do you feel like maybe um she should be more thoughtful here and, and like he's he was literally like he'd back it up to just being um uh you know the performance and it, and it was and he was using like words like I, how can we make this more appealing you know <laughs> appeal I don't, I don't know how do i go back to my desk and and quantify appeal and put that into this uh and but you know after you worked with him long enough you started getting to know what he meant at least that that you know that was the way he thought he he mm-hmm. he was so well above everybody else in drawing that he didn't go back to his desk like the rest of us and fight with a drawing and throw things away. I mean, he did throw things away, but I mean, he wasn't like because he couldn't get it. He could draw anything he thought of. He was at that that Jedi level, um, <laughs> and none of us were. We, no matter even if after five, ten years, none of us were at that level, and we would still have to work at something and maybe draw it a few times, right? Mm-hmm. And so, once you get to that level where anything you can think of is doable, and and believe me when I tell you that is is uh, almost inconceivable, but he had that ability and still does. Um, that that's why he was so inspiring. He could just think about what is the exact performance I want to get out of this. I mean, he could be the best actor in the world because he could get any performance, male, female, or animal, <laughs> onto the page. I know. So yeah, that's why he. He's a Jedi Knight. I mean, yeah, I was gonna say, it, it goes back to like what you said, it, of thinking of it more in terms of acting instead of just the the technical drawing the character. Like it, it seems like, yeah, he really, really thought that through. So um, I, I guess kind of taking a step back a little bit. So you mentioned you're a coward a year. And then did you go to, to Disney right after that? Oh, yeah. So uh, both my brother and I uh, went for a year and a half. And, and the, the short version is that we had a single mom she had remarried but they were kind of keeping their money separate and things so we didn't have a lot of money we couldn't you know if they put their money together on paper it looked like we had a ton of money but my mom didn't she was trying to do it without uh my stepdad's money so in actuality we didn't have any money so um anyway we went for a year and a half and then about the beginning of our second year we heard disney was coming and they were going to look at portfolios and this was like the the big deal it only happened every once in a while that they were going to open up an internship and that's what they said there's gonna be a new internship 
And it's going to be for this new thing we're going to open in Florida. It's this Disney MGM Studios. It's going to have a working animation studio in it. Michael Eisner just decided. And, and it was. It was Michael Eisner was just like, I don't know if you know this about that animation tour that was at the Disney MGM Studios, which is now the Hollywood Studios, mm -hmm. um, which is now Star Wars Land or whatever. I don't know. But, <laughs> um, but back in the day when they were first designing Disney MGM Studios, it was a late decision by Michael Eisner to put an actual working animation studio in there. Uh, as they were designing that park, it was supposed to just be animatronic people like uh, acting like animators and drawing. And right. And he's like, well, wait, we got all this space here. Why not just put in real people? And we can make some cartoons, you know, like, why not? And there hadn't been a new animation studio in like 60 or 80 years. It was the main one. And that was it. And so him just saying, let's create a new studio down here was this like huge lightning bolt from above. And so they were behind the gun the whole time. And so when they came to Cal Arts, and by the way, they made, they opened up this internship. I said, I was going to tell this short. I'm doing the long version. Uh, <laughs> we like the long version. When, yeah. Well, it's a podcast, right? Uh, <laughs> when, they, when they, uh, when they decided Disney to say, okay, well, let's make it a, but then they were like behind the gun and now we need all these people and how are we going to do that? And, and then this was still early, right? Like before the big boom, this is pre Lion King. This is pre rescuers done under like Oliver and company was about to come out. That's how far back this was. Wow, okay. And so they were like, how, how are we going to find that many people? Like CalArts doesn't churn out that many schools and so, or students. So there's no way we can do this. So what they did was for the first time ever, they went around to like, like I said, about, I think it was 10 uh, schools and these were illustration schools, none of them, but maybe one other one taught animation and, mm -hmm. but only CalArts had a degree in animation where you were learning a lot more in depth um, and being trained by former Disney people. So they would go and anyway, they did a large portfolio thing uh, review all over the U S. And so that was this internship that Tony and I, we're going to be a part of it was going to have some CalArts people. And I think it ended up being about 10 ish people from CalArts and then uh, about another 10 uh, that were going to be from all over the country, but none of them knew how to animate. They were all illustrators and just well-trained in drawing. Like they could paint and draw. That was what they were good at. And so they came in and our internship was split in half. Like it was the Calartians and then everybody else and, it, <laughs> and everybody else hated us because they knew right off the bat, cause we all wanted to work for Disney in yeah. this internship, but these people from Ringling and, and Savannah college of art and design and some of these other art schools around the country, which by the way, they, like I said, did not have animation programs. Most of them at the time, maybe Ringling did, I'm not sure. Um, they they were just like, well, we want these jobs too, but these CalArts guys are already being treated differently and all that. And they came in, you they already know. <laughs> yeah, we did, um, to be honest, we really did. And so Tony and I both got into that that um, that internship. And this is, like I said, back in 1988, just, uh, just turning 89, end of 88 into 89. And they were working, working on Little Mermaid at the time at the studio. And so I got to see Glenn Keane animating Ariel. I got to see him shooting that on a pencil test machine. I'll never forget these days. And uh, it's one of the things that kind of led me indirectly into creating Mermaid later on on Instagram was that I, she was the fish that got away. I, I never got to work on The Little Mermaid. I got to see it being made. 
uh, and I would take home audio tapes of these little, you know, little audio tapes of the songs. And I remember playing it on a date with my now wife, Jennifer. And, and I go, you gotta hear this. This is, this is Ariel. And she's singing about how she longs to be, you know, a human. And, and, all, and she's just like, you know, Oh, that's cute. You know, she didn't <laughs> later on, she'd see it with the visuals and just cry her eyes out. Right. But first time i played it for her she just thought it was you know oh, that's that's really neat oh wow they're doing some neat stuff over there huh that's kind of like a musical almost yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the first time you know that they were doing that stuff so anyway it, it was a great time to be there and we did get through that internship and and then immediately got moved out to florida um, and we're the first we were the first two people at the studio my brother and i because we got there a couple of weeks or maybe maybe fourth or fifth. There were a couple of people that were already in Florida uh, that lived in Florida that they brought in. So, uh, but we were one of the one of the first people there. I mean, what what was it like being one of the first people in a brand new animation studio? I mean, like you said, that was the first one open in sixty plus years. I mean, that had to be probably exciting, but also chaotic at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, they they did a really good job for as much as they were kind of making it up as they went along um, uh, and things were evolving constantly. Um, what they did do is they had all these Imagineers that were designing the place. So when we got there, I mean, no, and those guys know what they're doing, right? So they all they needed to know was like, OK, you need this many desks, you're going to right? And they had those meetings. And they went out and just had these handcrafted animation desks created in Canada, I think. Uh, and they were modeled after the old 1940s animation desks that the old Nine Old Men used to work on. And and so, like, when we came in, it was just like, oh, my gosh. I mean, like, you'd never seen anything like it. Like, even the, the California studio, it was like this hodgepodge at the time during Little Mermaid. It was in a warehouse, like they'd been kicked out of. Uh, and this is pre the um, the hat building, uh, you know, the Mickey okay. Sorcerer's hat okay. building. Okay, yeah. And so they were in just warehouses in Glendale, and and uh, with old animation desks. Nobody had made a new animation desk in in like forty years, and so they're using these ones that the nine men used to use. Right. And they were cool, but they were like, it was just junky. Everything, nothing matched. You know, it was all just sort of like animation dorm room almost. And, and that was kind of the way they were living. And then we come here to Florida and everything is, the building is brand new. Everything is brand new. And every chair and every, every little element in there, because also it was on tour, by the way, right. There was a big glass right. wall where right. people could watch us all day. It was perfect and pristine and designed for that right space. And so coming in, yeah, it was like, uh, and I'm right out of school. Literally, my brother and I, we just turned 21. Oh and gosh. so <laughs> that's how young we were. And you hit the lottery, man. <laughs> it was. It was. And then I, I ended up becoming the assistant to Mark Henn, who, was, who became my kind of almost Disney-long uh, mentor. And he was one of the top animators at Disney. Um, ended up creating Young Simba and Jasmine, and um, before that, did about half of Ariel. And uh, uh, but anyway, an amazing animator. And so I, he's who I trained under. And I was his assistant from day one. And I'm like coming out of art school. I'm in this brand new, wonderful, first time Disney's ever built a new studio in 80 years, and I'm Mark Ken's assistant. So at 21, and I was just like, I I don't even know what to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I worked hard. I can tell you that. 
you know, you're there with, with MGM studios in the nineties. I mean, it's, I think everybody's kind of aware, you know, the nineties are considered Disney's Renaissance. It's, you know, the reemergence of animation. What was it like? I mean, what were your kind of roles on some of those movies? So you mentioned you really didn't get to work much on the little mermaid, but I know, um, you know, you animated young Simba on the lion King. Mm-hmm. Uh, you worked on Pocahontas, um, you know, Mushu, I think is probably your most famous character um, <laughs> from Mulan. So what, I guess kind of, <laughs> yeah, yes, I was going to yeah. say, He's the, everywhere. The, listeners, the listeners can't see it, but you actually have some Mushu's behind you. Yeah, there's at least is three. It, is it Mushu's or Mushai? Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I hadn't heard that one. <laughs> that's good. The plural. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess, you know, what, what was the experience like? I mean, did, was there kind of a sense during that time that you were all a part of something special during that run of, of successful movies? Or was it kind of just, business as usual. We're going to make another one. Who knows if it's going to be good or not. I mean, I guess there's a little bit of both in that. Um, this was the beginning of this, what people call now the second golden age, um, mm-hmm. which I guess doesn't really make sense, but um, <laughs> it should be the silver age, I guess. But um, it, it was this resurgence that happened in animation. And it really started with um just before me, but while I was just before I even went to Cal Arts, uh, so it would have been um, like Secret and Nim, uh, you know, that the Bluth guys breaking off from Disney and and creating Bluth Don Bluth animation and doing Secret and Nim, okay. and mm-hmm. that launched into then Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and so those two, I would say, Who Framed Roger Rabbit at Disney and Secret and Nim at Don Bluth Studios, um, were just uh, and and by the way the who Framed Roger Rabbit came out the summer between my freshman and sophomore year at, at Cal Arts, and so okay. really within a year, and I think both of those came out about the, within the same year. Uh, there started to get some attention about animation, and that was right as we were basically landing on shore in Florida to start this new studio, and then literally within a month or two, because we got there in May or opened the doors about May first at Disney MGM. Um, I think uh, Little Mermaid came out that summer. So I think it came out within a month or so of, of us getting opening the doors in Florida. And that just went boom through the roof. We'd already had those two films. Now here's who uh, the Little Mermaid, which just touched everybody. And so we were, we were immediately into this, you know, Disney's like, Oh, you're making little animated. We were going to make little Mickey mouse shorts. That was the whole goal of us starting that studio was like, Oh, we'll turn out Mickey Mouse shorts. They were just into this. They'd done Prince and the Popper just before that. Uh, literally, mm-hmm. actually, they were finishing. Prince and the Popper came out right at the same time as, as Little Mermaid. A lot of people don't fr- remember that. But they were both in production at the same time. And so Prince and the Popper came out, I think, that summer too. And the idea was that we would just start on to an animated uh, uh, Mickey Mouse short. But even as we were moving there, they were changing those plans because also – who Framed Roger Rabbit had just come out, and that was a huge success, right? That came out just the summer before. And so by the time we actually opened the doors, they're like, no, 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 it's going to be a Roger Rabbit short. You're going to make a, and we did. The very first thing we did was Roller Coaster Rabbit. Um, and then we did make Trail Mix up later. Um, so we ended up doing two of the, the Roger Rabbit shorts there. But shorts disappeared really fast because it just, the boom started hitting as there, as Little Mermaid came out. Uh, and by the way, the Florida studio was, we didn't get to work on the film, but we worked on the McDonald's commercial for uh, <laughs> Little Mermaid. So I did actually get to draw her at least once. 
Um, and so uh, we did that there. It was done completely because we had Mark Ken and he had just come off of doing Ariel. So they just like, here, do this commercial. And he animated the whole thing pretty much by himself almost. And and then we had a, a cleanup team there that had just done the, the film, Little Mermaid. So they were all ready to go too. And so that came became one of our big projects and Roller Coaster Rabbit, of course. But they saw immediately wait a second, that little studio that we didn't really care much about. Oh, wait, they're doing really good stuff. Oh, and by the way, we have this boom going on. We want to get out more production and more feature films. And so as that boom hit, and literally it was a tidal wave that happened within the first two to three years of our studio that the whole shorts thing disappeared immediately. And now we're working on the feature films. And so immediately Rescuers Down Under was the next feature right after um, Little Mermaid. And they said, nope, you're not going to do shorts. We did that first one, Roller Coaster Rabbit. And then they're like, okay, instead of going on to another short, you're going to help us with Rescuers Down Under because we're really behind, need the help. You guys are doing great. You have Mark Ken. Great. Churn out some stuff. And so we did. We did a good chunk of that film. And so I ended up doing McLeach and Cody um, and Bernard and Bianca because those were all four characters that Mark Ken animated because he's so fast. He animates the uh, at the rate of three to five animators combined, literally. Oh, wow. So he's known as like the fastest 2D animator. And so during those days, he would just crank. And I was his assistant, so I would have to really try and keep up with that. And so he would do like, you know, two or three characters on a film. Like in, even later on in Mulan, even though, think about the film Mulan. Mark Hand cre- designed Mulan, and he was supervising animator Mulan. And then we had another supervisor that kind of fell out of the film who was going to do the dad, Fazao. Mm-hmm. And so Mark said, yeah, I can do it. And and they, <laughs> so he did Fazao too. And, but think about the film Mulan. Mulan is in every single shot. I am, I don't think there's another film that has a character that has that much screen time as Mulan does in the film Mulan. And then he took on Fouz out too. So yeah, that's how fast Mark is. Yeah, she. Now that you say that, she's in like every. There's not very many. Oh, you know, watch the movie tonight. It's. Uh, I'm telling <laughs> you, like she's in it all the time. Sometimes she's a man. Sometimes she's a woman. But she's in that <laughs> shot, right? That's incredible. <laughs> now, um, so you're in Florida. They still have the animation studio in California. How 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 was that working on the same movie where? you're both working on pieces of it. I mean, I imagine, you know, like this is pre, you know, computers, internet kind of starting. I mean, did you guys have to mail things back and forth or how, how does that Yeah. And I'll, okay. So quick story to, to go along with that. So my twin brother, Tony, he came to Florida with me, but we were only together for a year. Um, and in that year, by the way, I, um, I had gotten married almost within the first three months. Uh, so I, the girl I was dating, we got engaged as soon as I left. And then we got married, uh, after about, three months of being in Florida by myself or with Tony. And then, um, but within that first year, Tony got engaged um, with the girl that was still in California, his girlfriend. And so he ended up moving back to California after a year in Florida to not only get married, but set up his life out there at the Disney studio there, the main studio. And, Mm -hmm. but I stayed here because I had my wife, we liked it in Florida and we started making our own life. So Fast forward a few years to Lion King, and Tony's now the supervising animator, Pumbaa, the warthog. And I'm on, uh, I'm not a supervisor, but I'm an animator with Mark Ann on, on Young Simba. And so it was really cool because we did do that. We, Tony and I, for the first time, got to work on scenes together where 
I did this sequence uh, with him and Mike Surrey, who did Timon. And the three of us did this one little mini sequence where uh, right after Simba's like cast out by the hyenas and Scar and he goes through the thicket mm -hmm. and all that. And he wakes up uh, the next day. They're splashing water on his face and they're like, mm -hmm. it's right before he goes into Hakuna Matata. They, right. They start talking about, you know, what's your problem, you know, and all that. And he's just like, eh, and he's all sad. You know, he thinks he just killed his dad. So that's yep. all me doing Simba and then my brother doing Pumbaa. And that goes into, of course, Hakuna Matata, which was, I didn't, whoops, I didn't work on that part of it. But the, um, but that whole little mini sequence was one that just the three of us did. And we would literally mail the drawings back and forth, 3,000 miles. Wow. And yeah, I think it only happened once where the mail lost the drawings. Um, and oh, wow. it didn't happen to me, thankfully. But um, but I did hear that story. And so, yeah, it literally was, we were just constantly FedExing back and forth all these this paperwork like we had to and 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 we're talking about like huge stacks like a phone book of drawings that took you maybe three weeks and you're just mailing it off and hoping it gets to california and then then they just open that that package and start laying down new pieces of paper and drawing pumba on their level right because that's just the symbol level right and then they have to now add on another piece of paper pumba and they just lay down one Simba drawing and one blank piece of paper, add Pumbaa, then another Simba and another piece of paper, add Pumbaa again. And that's how they got these performances where they interact. And yeah, the fact that we pulled that off long distance for years too, by the way, it wasn't just Lion King. It was Aladdin and it was Rescuers Down Under before that and all the way up till Mulan. Mulan was the first feature film we did completely in Florida. Oh my okay. gosh! So I'm thinking of the one, the one scene, like right whenever they pick up Simba, to, or Pumbaa picks up Simba, and Simba's just like draped over yeah. his top. So you're like literally, he's drawing Pumbaa, right? And then he's sending it off to you, and then you have to draw Simba like draped over him. Yeah, I mean that would happen. I, in that case, it wasn't me. I think uh, sometimes it would be just easier um, because like he's Simba's not performing. He's okay, just yeah. a limp thing. <laughs> it doesn't even have to necessarily look exactly like Simba. You know what I mean? So they, they would have, well, you just do Simba also. And so I think okay. in that case, Tony must have done the Simba in that one. And there were a couple times where uh, Mike Suri did the Simba because it was just sort of like the back of Simba's head as Timon was talking to him. Um, so, but pretty much all the other shots of Simba where you, you know, see him's face or he's, he's talking or anything like that. Pretty much those are the ones I did. So, wow. yeah, it, but it is, it's a ton of interaction. Can you kind of take us through the process of actually creating a character? So, you know, Mushu, you know, I think you were the supervising animator on, so you're kind of more responsible for the entire character. So what, how does that process go? Do you have, I guess, again, like creative freedom to, design him how you want or you know do you know did you know eddie murphy was going to be mushu beforehand and you kind of you know added some of that into the character yeah i you know i guess every film's a slightly different but but there are some generalities that are probably the same so um and i would say that no supervising animator and this is just the 2d days it's it is a little different nowadays with the cg days a little bit more departmentalized um in the 2D days, the supervising animator, your job, and I really didn't realize this. It's so amazing that I didn't know this before I got the job of <laughs> being supervising animator of Mushu. Um, I, th I guess, it, I don't know. 
I don't know. It just didn't dawn on me. I've seen it happen, but I just never thought that it would happen to me, I guess. But the job of the supervising animator always was, was that you would, you would get a character that was sort of half baked and they go, okay, here, and now you finish it. And so you'd create the final design of the character. You'd, you'd do all the model sheets and you do all that. And then you'd start doing animation tests and start really kind of figuring out how that character should move and act and perform. And so, um, there's different levels of what has been done before you, I guess is the point that I'm making is that uh, with Mushu, um, there's always some visual development people that have already come onto the film even before the supervising animators come on because I'm, I was finishing up, uh, what was it before that, Aladdin, I guess. And I was still animating on Aladdin when there's already visual development people starting in on Mulan, right? And they were in California in this case. And okay. so they were they were doing designs, and then the storyboard artists are already storyboarding. They have to back that up quite a way. So there's people that just missed Aladdin altogether just to work on you know story for Mulan. And so mm -hmm. while I'm animating that, they're doing that. And so by the time I actually do come on to it, even though with Mulan, I came on a good year before almost all the other supervising animators and a lot of the animators did. So I was on it pretty early. Um, but uh, what I was going to say is that we already had some great storyboard artists that had done a, their version of Mushu in the boards. And so, and then there were visual development artists that had done sort of their version of Mushu. And then they called in a few celebrities like Peter DeSev is an illustrator that had, has done a lot of character designs for film. And he did some and um, a couple other people, um, Harold Sieperman. Um, and so I had kind of, when I first sat down with the directors and they're like, okay, we need you to design Mushu. You need to kind of like, like take the football from here and keep going, right? Is <laughs> here's, a, here's a lot of the ones that have been done. I had to look at them for a few weeks, just going through everything that everybody had done. And then they, were, then they started kind of going, well, we like this and we like this. And they start pointing to sort of, but none of it had been decided. The only thing that had been decided with Mushu was he was going to be thin like a snake. So it wasn't like I was going to go off and do like a big fat crocodile lizard type <laughs> dragon, right? Because okay. yeah. the, the Chinese, that's the biggest differentiator between like sort of the European dragon and the Asian dragon is Asian dragons are always snake-like and the European is always more like big and thick and more like an alligator kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of knew that right off. But past that, it was just... You know, just do a bunch of different versions and we kind of think this nose is kind of neat and we like this one over here too and you know and they then i would just go off to my desk and just start churning out tons of different mushus you know some a little more inspired by this person some a little more by by this person maybe once i did go down a road where they were like hey try something what would dr seuss do if he designed mushu <laughs> I did like a week of that where there were all these oh really God. crazy. I would love to see those. Yeah, there's uh, there was a book that Disney put out, as a matter of fact, um, called The Art of Disney Dragons. Um, and I actually wrote, wrote, wrote the foreword. If you look it up on Amazon, it says by Tom Bancroft. <laughs> just still, <laughs> still love that. Um, but it's just because I wrote the foreword. And so it says by Tom Bancroft. But I, I was involved in that book as far as not just writing it, but they would send me as they were working on it, Disney publishing, which send me sort of PDFs of it as it was evolving. Cause I would tell them who drew what sometimes. Cause, but it, it's an archive of like, not just Mushu, of course that's in there, 
but but it's got Pete's dragons. It's got Maleficent's dragon. It's okay. got all the dragons. Figment from Epcot, like yeah. okay, <laughs> all the all the dragons that have ever been done. Even when Madame Mem turns into a dragon, and so wow. they did a really nice deep dive. It's it's unfortunately it came and went. They didn't advertise it very well, but everybody I've ever shown that book to loves it because, um, and especially if you like dragons, period. But um, <laughs> But it is, it's got a lot of artwork in it. It's just a little smaller, like a, almost like a digest. Unfortunately, I think they made it a little small. Um, mm-hmm. But it's big enough and, it, and it, it turned out really nice. But anyway, uh, The Art of Disney Dragons, if I you want to look that up. Yeah. yeah. So so Mushu was almost a maybe a Dr. Seuss version. Are there any other <laughs> yeah, kind uh, of rejected yeah, and that, characters say, that you like? Yeah, that's what I was leading up to. Is some of those are in that book, by the way. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you would have had to name him like Dragon Dragon or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dragon to Dragon. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and when I came on really early, um, they were still writing the script, right? And refining the script or rewriting the script. And that that always goes on for a good six months to a year, even during production. But um, but I was on early enough that they had just kind of were still thinking about, well, and this is before Eddie Murphy came in. And so they're like, well, maybe Mushu's going to be, a, maybe we'll even call him Yin and Yang, and it'll be Mushu and the Cricket. And the Cricket was going to be a bigger character originally, and they were going to be more like partners. And and I think the Cricket might even talked at the time, and it was going to be Yin and Yang. You know, so like one was a good, you know, like a bad luck, and one was good luck. And um, so Mushu was going to be the bad luck, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and then there was like a version where ironically enough because of the live action film that's coming out uh it was gonna be a phoenix and mushu it was gonna be a dragon and a phoenix as a as a partnership and so that really disappeared probably within the first couple months of me being on the on the film um and then we just kind of locked into mushu by himself and Cricky really became uh, a smaller character more like his sidekick um and they decided that probably pretty early within the first six months, maybe of me being on it. And so, and that was right around the time that we started kind of looking at voice talent. I actually did, here's, okay, trivia. I actually did an animation test, again, between my first six months in there, um, where we're, they were trying to decide on a voice and all that, of Joe Pesci as Mushu. Oh, okay. So oh he's going to be a wise guy, basically. Um, but Much more, different character. Yeah. More mob type, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it would have been a radically different. And then get this. Yeah. So it came down to, and I did an animation test. I didn't finish that one of Joe Pesci. Um, but then I did another one of, of Eddie. When they were trying to woo Eddie, I did an animation test uh, that apparently he saw. Um, I don't know if it influenced <laughs> him at all. But... Um, <laughs> We'll say it did. We'll say it did. It sold him. <laughs> yes. And so, but, but before that, as I was doing that, I heard it, we came down, Michael Eisner did the ultimate uh, decision-making on who was going to be Mushu. And it was between, believe it or not, Eddie Murphy and Richard Dreyfus. Oh. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. would have been different too, right? Yeah. yeah. And, sure. And it was only because if you remember right, uh, Michael had, um, he had made Eddie's career because Michael Eisner had come from Paramount. Uh, that oh, before he yep. became the president of Disney, he was the right. president yeah. of Paramount, and that's where they made Trading Places and Beverly Hills Cop, and really made Eddie's career. And so he knew he could get Eddie, and Eddie had had really taken off because of those two films. So by the yeah. time we were making Mulan, 
you know, uh, he was kind of a little bit on the downward, but but he still was a big player. Like he was pretty hot. And so, uh, but Mike was like, oh, I can get Eddie. He owes me. <laughs> and uh, and really, literally, and, and, and same with Richard Dreyfuss was really hot because of, um, not Beverly Hills Cop, but what was the other one? Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills... 90210. No, no, no. no there's a movie with Bette Midler and Richard Dreyfus. Um, hopefully, you yeah, some, like of, some of your listeners yeah, yeah, are yeah. old enough that they'll figure it out. It was uh, now I'm thinking of his troop, Beverly Hills, and that was another one that was really dumb. Um, it was something Beverly Hills. So, anyway, that was a hot movie from Hollywood Pictures. So, they had it in with Richard Dreyfus. At the time, too. Down and out in Beverly, Beverly there Hills. There it is. Down and out <laughs> in Beverly Hills. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, it was a very popular movie at the time. So it was It was very, you know, some of their decision making was really set in that time frame of like, well, what's hot? What's, you know what I mean? And we look back now and you go, Richard Dreyfus was hot? <laughs> right, right. I mean, really? Yeah, I that could see so in Jaws maybe. But, you know, by that, anyway, he was still was. So That's crazy. So what do you think speaking of these movies they're doing remakes of what do you think of the live action remakes oh Since you boy. Worked on most of the originals. here we go <laughs> um you know uh okay so tony and i get these questions a lot especially with mulan um because tony was the co-director of mulan and i was supervising animator mushu and so we kind of both had a key part of course in the making of that film um, and then on top of that, they cut Mushu out of the live action. So I get that question a lot. And mm -hmm. then Tony just gets the general, what do you think about it? Um, and, and I'll say this. So I back this up to all of them. So the gen generic, generically, and, it gets to, and I, I'm kind of answering for both of us, I guess you could say, because we talked about it so much, is that, um, you know, I feel like the ones that they break away, that they're, they're not just copying the film that we made, right? Nice. And Lion King is a, horrible example of that i mean it i saw the trailer and i was just like that is shot for shot it's the same uh -huh. movie what we made except oh now we've taken all the emotion out of the faces yes exactly yeah and that's not better okay but but i liked i enjoyed beauty and the beast pr fairly well half i enjoyed half of it which is bell mostly um uh -huh. uh, bell and her dad that relationship there was a couple of additive things that they did which was nice um but uh, the, the the objects looked horrible. Mrs. Potts and the candle on the clock, and they looked horrible. Beast didn't look good at all. I mean, so half of Beauty and the Beast was okay, but Cinderella was great. A really fantastic take on Cinderella. Not that different, but it art direction wise, they did a really nice job. Maleficent is probably the best example where they just mm -hmm. they based it off that, and they kind of told a new perspective of it, right? Uh, yeah. Jungle Book, uh, a little bit of that too. There was a new take on it, a new spin, a little bit more back to the original story, the Kipling story. And yeah. so, but then you got to Lion King and, and uh, you know, well, Beauty and the Beast too, and and a couple, uh, Aladdin. And yeah. and it's just like, you know, you, you sort of took all the fun out of it and just made it this, what if real people said these words? You know, like, yeah. wouldn't that be exciting? And by the way, Lion King, they're not real people. They're all computer animated on top of yes. that. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was, yeah. Well, see, I grew up watching a lot of, like, National Geographic and yeah. Discovery and all that. So, you know, when most people are like, they look so realistic, I'm like, they look so off. <laughs> like, yeah. 
And they put a ton of work into that. And I feel for the people that worked on it because I know that they, I've been on enough productions to know, and I've seen enough, especially the, like the special effects and CG side. I know enough of those people to go, I know that they were banging their hand up against the wall going, let me do something new or let me try this or, Oh no, no, no. Go back to the source or whatever. You know, that, that was not the movie they wanted to make. And they're, they're better than that. Um, and so I hate to see that happen. And so anyway, long story short, Mulan, when that trailer came out, I was like, oh, okay, this looks like it's going, again, more like, I don't know, Cinderella or, or Maleficent. Back to, the, back to the heart of it, the actual story of Mulan. Yeah. And I was okay that they took Mushu out. Because I'm like, you know what? They're telling a more serious version Mm-hmm. She's going to have some basically, you know, karate powers or whatever you want to call it. She right. looks like it's pretty souped up. You know, she's like an amazing yeah. warrior, but mm-hmm. she's got some kind of chi in her, I guess, almost like a special power. Um, and I think that's kind of neat. Like, okay, great. Add that. And her dad had it before her and and now he's injured, but you know, but he was like this amazing warrior probably. And I know that there, I've already, I've heard enough that it sounds like there's certain layers that they've added to the backstory of her dad and things like that, that, you know, I don't, you know, I'm okay with, like, I, I want to see them do that. Like take the heart of that story, which is this amazing warrior woman and, and the sacrifice she's making to save her dad. That's the, that's the heart of that story. Mm-hmm. Right. And run with that and push it even further, make it more dramatic and more, the fighting even better. Great. Now we got a fun movie that's the heart of it, but not. And so I don't think it's going to be as lighthearted of a movie, and that's that's fine. Go see the animated one if you want that. But but you know I think there'll be a funny, there'll be a few gags and stuff. My brother's already seen it actually. It was right before COVID really clamped down. It was basically the last Hollywood uh, premiere was the yeah. red carpet for that film, and so he was Does invited. He like to rub that into your face that he got. Oh to see yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Many other things too. But yes, he lives in California. So he gets to go to Hollywood, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely does look like they're going for a different tone with that one. I mean, there's no, I think they said they're taking the songs out of it. Yes. PG 13. So you're right. I mean, when they do that, they definitely are better. I mean, I think both of us, the live action movies, I think we're kind of with you, you know, hit or miss on them. I really think we've talked a little bit about this, but. I really think where the benefit of them will be is if they do sequels with them. So a lot of the, you know, animated movies, they never really did theatrical sequels. <laughs> so oh, or they did or sequels. Yeah, yeah, they were all pretty right. bad. Yeah. Right. So, you know, to your point, you know, Aladdin Lion King, they're not that great because it's kind of a remake of the original movie, but mm-hmm. if they can go to sequel, I think then that frees them up to do some more unique storytelling and hopefully and soup up the yeah, sequels but, that they already had. Yeah, it makes a little bit better of a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I agree with that. That would be nice. I mean, I think we all want them to be making these live action films. I mean, I, I, not all of us want to admit that, but it, it brings back the nostalgia factors there and all that. So we want to see them. We want to see them, but we want to see them good. And what everybody's good is, is a little different, of course. Yeah. Uh, Cause some of us want it to be, you better have every single song in there and every note sounds exactly the same. And then other people are like, I saw that. Why are you making exactly like, you know? And so it's hard to win. Yeah, I'd have to imagine it's driving interest in the original animated films too. Because Mm -hmm. if people are seeing these live action versions, there's probably young kids that 
their parents are telling them, Hey, you want to see the original? It's so yeah. much better. You know, like, mm-hmm. let's watch. And that's Beauty what I, Beast. that's what I like about it. Many people were, were kind of rediscovering uh, the films yeah. that I worked on in the nineties. And so it's been a really interesting last five or so years with these live action films. Cause yeah, they brought, you know, a lot of our f- work from the nineties kind of back into the limelight in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Now, now you mentioned earlier a little bit on like computer animation. It it kind of when when that came up, and, and now kind of the current state of everything, like there's not as much of that like mentorships and everything. How like throughout your career did the rise of Pixar, the rise of 3D animation and using computers? How how did that change? I, I guess you know what you did kind of specifically from movie to movie, and just kind of like your career trajectory in general. Um, well, yeah, there's no doubt about, about it that my trajectory, my trajectory changed radically because of computer animation coming around. And, and that's true of every single animator I knew at the time, we all had to change. And why that is, is that Disney and DreamWorks, actually DreamWorks started it. Um, they all, the big studios kind of worked together in a way and decided, okay, 2d animation's dead. And they, they Jeffrey said it first, and there's press that you can find of him saying that, that we're no longer going to do 2D animation. He made that announcement uh, sometime after Sinbad, I think was one of the last films, if I remember right. And then they did Horrible Shark's Tale. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, but, but soon after that, within a year or so, Disney never said it. Like literally never to this day, I don't think, have they ever said oh yeah, we don't do 2D animation before. It just became the company line is that we don't admit it. And so what they did was they just laid off tons of people, like tons, like whole, shut down whole studios. Oh, wow. This wave happened where went right after Toy Story um, that they were like, it was obvious. They had made a decision up in the hierarchy in California. Uh, and what happened was the I was at the Florida studio and I had left and actually come back. And so I had left to do VeggieTales for a couple of years in Chicago and then came back to do uh, Brother Bear. And um, But it was only temporary just to finish Brother Bear. And then I started my own company. And that was right as that wave hit uh, Florida. And so they announced right at Christmas time. Oh, we're going to you got a couple months, but we're going to shut down the studio. You need to start looking for other work and you know put, put your portfolios together. And, and likewise, Australia, we had a studio there. They shut that down. They had one in Paris. They mm. shut that down. Um, I think the only ones they kept going were like these Saturday morning ones in Korea and places like that. But they shut down all these. like So they really shut down like three studios all at once. We had grown to, to such a, a massive 2D animation studios. Amazing talent all over in Australia and, in, and in, mm. especially mm. in Paris. They had some amazing talent there and in Florida, and all of it just scattered. And so all of us had to decide, and and pretty good layoffs in California too, by the way. Um, and that got dra- more and more drastic. That that was the last place that they had the, the big layoffs, but it, it, it grew and grew and grew. And so we're literally right now, a lot of people don't know this, but at Disney Feature Animation right now, you can count on one to two hands, I think one hand, how many 2D animators are still there doing that wow. job? Wow. One hand. I'm talking about four to five people. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 
that's how bad it is it, because they just they don't do it anymore and now it's right. just the occasional uh theme park ride that needs some 2d or it's a commercial or whatever it's like special projects I was just going to ask, do you see them ever maybe going back to that? Because I know that there's a demand for it. A lot of people nope. you know, want to see it. Yeah, they do. I totally agree with that part. But no, I don't see them going back. Uh, the, they, they, I have a Disney animation desk right over here. You can't see it, but it's in my office because they even got rid of all the equipment. So oh, I bought it wow. off of Disney as I was leaving, you know, like for a dime for the dollar. It was cheap. And it's a little Disney animation desk from the Florida Animation Studio in my office. And that's true of a lot of guys that I know that are my age because we were there when they shut down. They're like, yeah, you want a desk? You know, okay, 500 bucks. And these were like desks that were like six to $9,000 to make. (laughs) Yeah, and they were just getting, and they literally, in the Florida studios, another thing that a lot of people don't know, is they just made a deal because they didn't want to ship them back to California. They shipped some back to California, for, but they knew they were going to like start laying people off there too. So they, they really didn't want them there either. And so what they did was they just made a deal with Ringling uh, School of Art and Design in Florida and said, how many animation desks do you want? You pull up some trucks, we'll give them to you. And they just donated wow. them. And they still have a room full of old Disney animation desks, but they have the students use, you know, they call it their 2D animation room. I've seen it. And uh, yeah, it's basically half of Florida animation that's <laughs> now in Ringling. So um, do you still do much 2D animation or is the projects you're working on all 3D animation now? No, I, I did do 3D or CG. I, I'm picky. I call it CG. Because okay. 3D is always like, you know, I got to put the glasses on. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I do. I have done it. I did it on VeggieTales. I did not enjoy it. And I walked away from it. Um, we do teach it at Lipscomb at my school, but I don't teach those classes. Um, I, I did stick with 2D um, and I do And for many years. I didn't do hardly any 2D. There were a few years, probably almost four or five that I didn't animate at all. I just stopped animating. What I turned to was character design and storyboarding. So, I mean, I was still drawing all the time. Um, it's just there wasn't any call for 2D and I didn't really pursue it. Um but now there's been a resurgence. Actually, I get calls all the time for 2D animation now. There's kind of a mini boom going on right now. Space Jam 2 is gearing up right now. They're just starting on that. And I'm probably going to work on that. Um, I'm working on Animaniacs right now, uh, which oh, okay. is going to be a Hulu show. Um, and, of course, before that, uh, I worked on Cuphead a little bit, the video game. Oh, uh, that's okay. so cool. <laughs> yeah, that was brief, but I, uh, a little bit on the second uh, version of that. And so, and, and then there's also Green Eggs and Ham, which is all hand-drawn. A uh, bunch of animators I know. I didn't work on that one, but my brother did briefly. So, yeah, we there's a there's a bunch of us that are kind of still doing it, and, and not a lot, but a few. And uh, Tony and I are kind of in that group, and so we get the calls, you know, for... Hey, we want some experience. And Klaus also was another big one, of course, for Netflix. Okay. So, um, but there's, and there's one in talks right now uh, with a major director um, at a at a big studio that looks like it's going to be all 2D, a whole feature film. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yay. Yeah. Well, if Disney won't do it, I'm glad somebody is. <laughs> yeah. There's still people that are brave enough to give it a try. I mean, you're, and you're right. There's a huge nostalgia. That's the sort of secret in Hollywood that, that, Hollywood doesn't know about it's a secret to them unfortunately <laughs> that, that we all know which is that the world really wants 2d animation and they want it to come back I can tell you that from my students perspective all these college art school kids 
I can't get them to do CG animation. I'm like, that's where the jobs are. You got to do this. Uh, and they're like, no, no, no. I love 2D. This is why I'm in it. I want to animate 2D. And I'm like, okay, because I do too. I get it. But uh, I want you to get jobs too. So, yeah. But we train them in both. So that's the nice thing. Yeah. Good. A few more questions and then we'll get you out of here. Maybe a few rapid fire questions here. Yeah. Um, so what was the fa- what was your favorite movie that you've worked on? Mulan. Next. Mulan. Okay. Fa- favorite movie you didn't get a chance to work on, but I think you've oh. already answered did I? What did I say? Well, well you didn't say this, but oh, you, you... Little Mermaid. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yes, and that would be. That probably would be... I'll say that's my answer. Yeah. Uh, who was the most difficult character you've animated? Pocahontas. No doubt okay. about it. Her her hair was the co-star of the film. <laughs> <laughs> she does have luxurious hair. Yes, and that was all made up. There's no like film reference for her hair. We had to just figure it out. So every scene. So did you keep any items from any of the productions you did? And if so, kind of what's the best souvenir that you have? Oh, easy. Yes. And yes. Um, so <laughs> I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a collector and also I'm an animation geek, right? So both my brother and I are huge geeks of animation. And so, and, and that's true of most animators. I'd say, you know, the, you love the history, you love all that. So I have drawings. You can't see it on this side. You can see a little bit behind me. But this is more my comic book wall, although that's a that's a Simba uh, drawing from Lion, uh, Lion King. Okay, um, I can kind of make it out now. <laughs> yeah, by Mark Hen, my my mentor, and so but the so I have a Peter Pan original drawing. I have a, a Pinocchio, so I have some from the '40s and stuff, which oh, are wow. which are cool. I have, of course, my model sheet of Mushu. I kept all my model sheets. I have the originals. Um, uh, but the the creme de la creme is definitely. I have a long piece of artwork. Uh, you can't see how far my ar- arms are going, but uh, and it has every. This was during the production of Mulan. I was geek enough, and because I was a brand new supervising animator, of Mushu, I went around to every single animator, supervising animator, and said, "I need. I want to have a long drawing of all the main characters." And supporting characters. I have the matchmaker on there. Oh, wow. And it's, so it's all by the people that designed those characters. Whoops. Oh, and so and they all signed underneath their drawing. And so it's like, you know, and they're all interacting with each other. Like, you know, uh, the guardian has his hand on on Fazao's shoulder. And and so Shang is looking at Mulan and Mulan's looking up at her dad. And it's every single character, even like, you know, the, the general from, you know, and then Shan Yu's there and his, his Falcon and the emperor, the matchmaker, and of course, Mushu and Cricky. So, and grandma, grandma and mother Zhao. So yeah, it's, it's definitely like Disney doesn't even have that. Uh, and it You'll was say one of a kind. Yeah, it's yeah. one of a kind and nobody's it's ever amazing made. Amazing you had the foresight to do that. Yeah. And I'm so proud of it but you know I, I often tell my wife that you know okay if there's a fire grab the kids i'm gonna be grabbing that <laughs> maybe, that's maybe priorities that. yeah priorities, <laughs> priorities. what's your dog's name i have two one one is called they're both pugs and one is called millie she's our puppy and of course the other one is mushu uh, okay i was gonna say one has to be yeah all right. Well, Tom, again, we, you know, we really appreciate you, you know, kind of taking the time uh, to talk with us today. Is there anything, any work you have coming up that you'd like to promote 
um, you know, any, you mentioned you teach, I mean, any yeah. website, podcast. Yeah, anything that you'd like to, well, uh, promote, let people yeah, know. thank you. I, um, I have a lot, so I'm very, <laughs> very active in a lot of different areas, but yes, look, if you're somebody that wants to get an animation, I have, I've created an animation program there five years ago at Lipscomb university in Nashville. And so there's that. Um, I also have, um, a podcast, my brother and I, that we talked about, um, We've done a podcast now for about three years. We're on episode like 155. And so it's called the Bancroft Brothers Animation Podcast. It's the number one. It's really good. Thank you. I I listen to several of the episodes. We we like to say it's the number one animation podcast on iTunes. (laughs) Um, No proof of that, but we believe it is. And um, I do have a Kickstarter that I'm about to launch into for a graphic novel. So basically, if people would follow me, the the biggest place I'm at online, social networking wise, is is Instagram. It's my favorite. Oh, check out check out his story to his story because he he's been po- posting some of that. Yes, I just did uh, for the graphic <laughs> novel, and so it's Tom Bancroft one, the number one, uh, is where they can follow. Um, and that's my name on Instagram too. And by the way, I'm, unfortunately, I'm on TikTok too. <laughs> <laughs> my my teenage daughters got me into that. I just shot one today. They are drawing things though, so I think hopefully. I was gonna say, did you get into yeah. the dances? Are you yeah, are you on there doing the TikTok dance? Well, on theirs, I am. <laughs> yeah, okay. they have a TikTok, but that'd be hard to find, fortunately. <laughs> so, <laughs> totally that. That's so. awesome. All right, yeah. Again, we we really appreciate it. Yes, um, this thank was you a, so much. Yeah, it was a really really great interview. You really learned a lot. It was really interesting mm-hmm. to kind of hear a little bit more on. You know some of the movies that we grew up watching, kind of what was happening at that time. Yeah. So. Well, thank you guys. I've really enjoyed this, and I appreciate you having me on. We can't thank Tom enough for being gracious enough to sit down with us for an interview, especially of that length. To you know, go through having some tech issues and everything. He was amazing, as you guys all heard. Uh, so thank you so much, Tom. Yeah, and be be sure to check him out on his Instagram that he mentioned or his podcast that he does with his brother, Tony, the Bancroft Brothers Animation Podcast. And again, just want to thank all of our listeners because really uh, it's, it's with your support we're able to kind of do these interviews and we hope to be able to do more interviews like this. So make sure you leave us a rating or a review. Uh, if you haven't already, subscribe. Uh, it really helps. All, even just you know, giving us a rating uh, helps us reach a larger audience. You know, share this episode uh, with your friends. We really, you know, really appreciate you listening every week. Thanks for lending us your ears. And we'll see you here next Monday. Bye.